right, what's up, guys? Welcome, friends in the room, friends in Fort Worth and El Paso and Houston and Tulsa and Ohio and Iowa and Florida and wherever else you are joining us. And especially welcome fellow Dallasites, home of the Mavs. And... Um, not our strongest start so far, but hey, we're continuing this series, Vice and Virtue. I'm going to start with a story that will give us some traction. Uh, when I moved to Dallas from the uh, University of Texas A&M, I, uh, <laughs> man, it gets me every time. Didn't see that coming. Love it. Um, I uh, moved into a uh, back house for a little bit and then eventually moved into a friend of mine had a house in Lakewood, which is an area in Dallas. And uh, me and another guy moved in with him and it was like, uh, it just felt like adulting for the first time in a while. We weren't in an apartment or a dorm or, you know, like a back house or a garage apartment. We were in kind of like your own home with a yard you got to mow and, and just responsibilities. And one of the things inside of the house was it had a fireplace. It wasn't a wood fireplace. It was a gas fire or gas log fireplace. And, uh, and I, well, you'll know why I say that in a second. And uh, so I moved into the house. It was kind of wintertime, and I was in grad school at the time. So uh, on one of the, you know, earlier nights that I was there, I decided well, everyone else was, uh, had plans that evening, and I had to study uh, for an exam that was kind of, so I stood home, was reading, and decided I'm going to light a fire. It's cold outside. Light this gas log fireplace. So gas logs don't produce smoke uh, like, you know, a wood fire would do. So you just turn it on. It's pretty awesome. Turn it on, light it. And welcome to 2018. So uh, I light the fire. I'm reading a book. I end up falling asleep on the couch. My roommate comes home and he's the guy who owns a home. He says, oh man, hey, great call. Kind of wakes me up. Great call on lighting the fireplace. It's freezing outside. Um, hey, you made sure to open the flu, right? And I said, well, what are, you, what are you talking about right now? Open the flu? Yeah, you open the flu. What do you, pause. Let me hit pause on the story because if you don't know what the flu is, like me, circa eight years ago, you're going, what, open the flu? The flu, what are you talking about? Like the thing that is infecting half of America right now? Is that what you mean by flu? Uh, the flu, the chimney flu is altogether different than this virus. The chimney flu is the thing inside of the chimney that you open up or has to be opened up and it allows, if it's a wood fire, the smoke to go up the chimney. And if it is a gas log burning fire, the carbon monoxide that will kill you to go out the chimney. And so I'm going, what are you talking about? You didn't open up the flu. He turns off the fire. He goes, opens up the flu, starts opening doors. He's like, how long has the, uh, <laughs> how long has the fire been burning? And I'm like, several hours at this point. <laughs> And, I, and he's like, you know, that will kill you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It'll kill you. Um, I, I would have like realized or smelled it or sensed there's something wrong. No, carbon monoxide, you can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't, uh, you know, sense that it's there. Uh, and yet if you breathe it in, it will kill you. And uh, it is the thing filling your lungs right now in this house. And so we're like now scrambling, trying to get the air out. And I'm going, oh my gosh, you go into like panic mode. Like, do I need to go to a doctor right now? I'm starting to feel funny. And, and so I did what any guy does. Didn't go to the doctor, I just began looking up the worst possible case scenario on Wikipedia and finding out what would happen if you inhale large amounts of carbon monoxide. Thankfully, he came home and thankfully, everything ended up working out fine. But uh, the reason I start there is because just like in that scenario where there was something in the air that I was breathing that was killing me and would kill me from the inside out, we are talking tonight about a vice that is in the air that we breathe as Americans that is killing us from the inside out. And it is the vice of entitlement. Entitlement. Throughout this series, Vice and Virtue, we essentially go and we look at some of the biggest vices of our generation and really kind of inside of our culture. 
and uh, couple them with the virtue, the biblical virtue that should replace them, entitlement. What do I mean by it? it's in the air that we breathe? What does it mean to be entitled? Entitlement, what I mean by that is just this really pervasive attitude all across uh, our country and, and just all of us that uh, can be easily and endlessly almost focused on, hey, what I deserve, what I'm owed, what I'm entitled to. And uh, it is something that when I say it's in the air that we breathe, it truly is. I mean, just kind of as Americans, we're all about like, hey, you, you're owed this, you deserve this. We live in a culture that's on demand more than ever before that just constantly feeds it where it's like, man, I can have a pizza in five minutes. I can order something from Jeff Bezos and Amazon and it'll be here in two hours. We are uh, fed kind of this like, hey, you earned it, you deserve it. And, uh, and our expectations are higher than ever. And as we're, see, we're gonna see tonight, our expectations are directly connected to this sense of entitlement. I mean, it, it's such a part of even just materialism. Marketers, if you study marketing in college, you probably came across what marketing studies will show you is marketers will try to convince you you deserve something, you earned it, you work hard, um, you uh, have earned you know, this car, this vacation, this whatever it is. And so not only is it in the air that we're... Uh, breathe, there's something just a part of our sin nature where it is like easy for me with no effort, things uh, in my life to quickly move to, I feel entitled to them. Things that were like, oh, this is an amazing gift. One week, the next week becomes something I just feel entitled to. Example, last week at the porch, if you were here, it was like seven degrees outside. So we decided, hey, we're going to go pick everyone up in golf carts so that if you're really far away, we go pick you up at the golf cart. So people, some of our volunteers are driving around picking up people at the five-story parking garage and like the joy on people's faces, you would have thought like we were handing out just, you know, suitcases of cash to people. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And they'd get inside of the golf cart, they'd ride through. You know what happens the next week when you had a golf cart show up and pick you up at the fifth-story parking garage? You're like, where's the stinking golf carts? You serious, huh? I'm having to walk a stinking mile to get to church. There's no golf carts here. What, what is wrong with this place? I'm going somewhere else. I mean, it just quickly, with no effort at all, we move in the direction of entitlement. It's in the air that we breathe. It's just kind of a part of our DNA, and it's very easy for us to get there, and yet it is without question. It is impacting our relationships in a toxic way. It is gonna rob, it does rob all of us of joy and gratitude. And, uh, and I think most of us are unaware. Similar to a carbon monoxide, we're like, I can't see it. It's, it's like almost, here's what I thought when I was preparing this message this week. I was like, this might be the first time I've ever given a message where I'm like, I don't, I don't think this is a problem for me. I think I got entitlement down. Like, I don't think I'm that entitled to things. And literally, as I'm writing and working on it yesterday, I, I, uh, JP and Garrett, who's in Fort Worth, and I will uh, prepare messages together, and we'll kind of like, you know, pick up the phone and work and, and just talk through different things. Neither of them, and so that was the plan. Hey, Friday or Monday afternoon, we'll, we'll connect, and we'll have chances to do that. And for whatever reason, because of a fire thing in Fort Worth, uh, uh, that big fire that kind of broke out. Garrett had some lack of availability and, and JP had similar circumstances. And I'm sitting there going, what the heck, you guys? I thought we were gonna work on this thing together. And I, I, you, you want me to write this entitlement message all on my own? Are you serious? I'm entitled to have some people help me out here a little bit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought I had this thing down. Turns out maybe I don't. And here's what I think. I think that's how all of us are. I don't think anyone in the room really, th when we think entitled, we think of the kid who's like, uh, dad, my Range Rover has 20 miles on it. Can we change it out, please? We don't think like, oh, maybe I'm entitled. Maybe there's parts of me that like, 
have expectations or is more focused on what I deserve and what I'm owed and what God hasn't given me or what my boss should give me and how much I should make, that there's a part of all of us that is entitled. Tonight, Jesus is gonna display through a parable in Matthew chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Matthew chapter 20. He is going to show us some of the cause that uh, stems or where our entitlement stems from, what it does to the relationships that we have, and then the remedy that, uh, that we're given to kill entitlement inside of our lives. So Matthew chapter 20, we're gonna start in really verse 30 of chapter 19, right before it, Jesus would often tell a parable. A parable is kinda like a made up story. And it is a made up story. It was a made up story that Jesus would tell in order to make a point or in order to teach something. And so on this one, he gives his disciples this parable and in so doing, gives us a look into the problems of entitlement and the cure for it. So verse 30 of chapter 19, here's what it says. Jesus speaking. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and he sent them into the vineyard. So Jesus starts saying, hey, let me tell you kind of what kingdom of heaven, how it works, what it's like. It's like a guy owns this plot of land. It's a vineyard, he's got grapes growing. He's gonna make some wine. Decides, I need some people to work on this field. Goes over to Home Depot, whatever they had at the time. Says, hey guys, do you wanna work for the day? I'll pay you a denarius. Here's what you need to know about a denarius. Essentially, denarius is like above minimum wage. It would be like 15 to $20 an hour times eight hours, so for the day's wage, I'm gonna pay you really well, will you come work? They agree to work, the man sends them into the field. It's early in the morning, maybe six or 7 a.m. Story continues. About nine in the morning, the landowner went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went and he went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. So the guy goes out at nine, says, hey, do you wanna, get, do you wanna work today? Go out in the field, I'll pay you whatever's right. Goes out at noon, hey, do you wanna work today? Finds more people, go out, and apparently it's a big vineyard, and he finds people again at three o'clock. Hey, whatever's right, I'll pay you, go out there. Then finally, at about five in the afternoon, now there's only one hour left in the workday. The workday ended at six o'clock. So at five in the afternoon, he goes out again, and he's like, hey, do you wanna work today? Sends them out with one hour left in the day, in the workday. You may have the 11th hour in your text. He went out and he found others still standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, verse seven, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers together and pay them and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones that were hired and going on to the first, which is unusual in this time. Uh, just like many times today, you would pay the people who've been here the longest, they're gonna get paid first. Those guys who just showed up, you'll get paid last. But he says, we're gonna flip it. And here's what happens. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon, the people who only worked one hour, they came and they each received a denarius. Each received 150 bucks. So when those who came who were hired first they expected to receive more. So they're sitting in line going, he just paid the one hour guys 150 bucks. We've been here for 12, oh my gosh, we're gonna get like uh, you know, hundred thousands of dollars. They're already going through what they're gonna buy with their money, maybe a new camel, whatever you bought in that day for $1,200. And they're beginning to think through it, expecting 
that because we've been here 12 times as long, we're going to get 12 times as much. Having an attitude of what they thought they deserved. But here's what happens. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble. I'm going to pause there. The word grumble just means they became indignant. So they're sitting in line, and they're uh, indignant at the landowner. They're indignant in general because they felt entitled. Not that they had been done wrong or not that, you know, uh, the guy lied to him or kind of cheated him. He said, I'll pay you a denarius. And they're sitting there going, hey, I feel like I deserve more. Our first idea from this text is that entitlement stems from what we think we deserve. I know that sounds pretty straightforward, but it's a key in understanding how we can experience a, a cure for the entitlement that we experience. That entitlement is just where you put the expectation, you begin to have the expectation of what you think you're owed or what you think that you deserved. And anytime that those expectations are not met, hey, I expected to be paid more, it exposes the entitlement inside of our hearts. It exposes the entitlement. Like maybe uh, you've experienced this at work where your job came up and it's the, you know, about to transition to a new fiscal year and you're expecting I'm gonna get a promotion, maybe some sort of raise, and it doesn't happen. Worse yet, somebody else gets a promotion. You're like, really, you gave Bob a promotion? I didn't get a promotion? And exposes entitlement. Uh, this happens all the time where, um, you know, someone will start really running uh, hard after Christ and they're diving in the community group and they uh, are getting plugged in and they're serving and all of that. And at some point they hit this wall where they begin to become bitter towards God that they're not where they want to be in their relationship status. They're like, man, I, I thought if I got everything kind of right and I really started following hard after Christ that, you know, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright would come along and God, you would, you know, I, I thought I would be married by now and have at least one on the way or if you're a guy, someone with one on the way and, uh, and it's not the case at all and it exposes the entitlement that's inside of their heart. I mean, it, it, when tragically, honestly, when things inside of our, our uh our life just kind of begin to fall apart. Maybe a parent gets sick. Maybe something really tragic happens. People will get bitter at God. And it reflects the fact that there was an entitlement inside of their heart that I felt entitled to have parents that lived. I felt entitled to have good health. I felt entitled to not lose my job. And I'm angry at you for it, God. Entitlement stems from us not getting what we think that we deserve. And what the Bible tells us is that you and I are to not, uh, the goal is to not, hey, so you need to make sure that you just lower your expectations of whatever you deserve. The goal is not to lower them. The goal is not to raise them. It is to base them on what the Bible says you deserve. It is to live a life that stems from, hey, I'm going to base my expectations on what the Bible tells me I deserve. I'm not going to set my, you know, expectations on what I'm entitled to based on socially or culturally kind of what others have and what I don't. I'm going to set them biblically. What do I mean by that? The Bible says if you're a Christian, um, we should be the least entitled people in the world. Because the Bible teaches that, hey, what is it? At the end of the day, what do I deserve? Hell. That's what I deserve. That's what my sin deserves. That's what my life deserves. Like, what does God owe me? Or, or what am I owed? hell. And yet at the same time, it also tells us the incredible truth that the God who's there provided a way, dying in our place so that we could have eternal life, that I was owed, I deserve hell, that's where I should align my expectations, and yet God, in his incredible love for me, despite the fact that I don't deserve it, died in my place, has promised me eternity with him in paradise forever. In other words, not just, hey, you don't have to go to hell. You get to spend eternity in paradise. It, it's be comparable to, hey, I'm not just going to pay off your student loans. I'm going to give you 10 
billion dollars. That's what we've been given inside of Christ. That it's not just that, hey, we weren't given or what we deserve is hell and God has now promised us something which is eternal life with him forever. And the Bible presents this idea, it's pretty crazy, that that should be enough. I mean, isn't that like, it, it almost just, because we're Americans, we're like, man, what American dream. That it's insane that at some point in time, that stopped being enough. That, hey, you don't have to go spend eternity away from God forever in hell, uh, eternally separated from him. You get to spend eternity with him forever. And even inside of those rooms, are like, oh my gosh, well, that is not coming for a while, I hope. So is there something else that you can give me? So here, what now should we expect? That's what we deserved. We weren't given that. We were promised by God eternal life forever and ever. So what should we expect from God now in this life? Nothing. Or at least nothing that doesn't come directly from God's word. Like you and I are to set our expectations biblically. And I mean that with all my heart, that you and I truly, if you base your expectations on, hey, God's gonna give me a long life. God's gonna give me kids that know him or kids at all or a husband or a wife or any of that stuff. You are setting yourself up for frustration for disappointment and you are entitled and reflecting that entitlement the god who's there says man inside of this life here's what you can expect you want to expect them or align your expectations biblically you can expect you're going to have trouble inside of this world that's what jesus promises john or john chapter 16 looks into his disciples says hey i'm going to go um, prepare a place we're going to be forever together in eternity it's going to be amazing but in this world you're going to have trouble Things are going to be, it's Jesus' words, like, guys, I'm going to be, I'm going to shoot you straight. It's going to be rough, okay? But I've overcome the world. That's what he says. So the expectations that you and I are to have, as crazy as that sound, is that God doesn't owe me anything. And when I become uh, more aware of that, it begins to allow me to be more grateful. Everything else is just icing on top. Another day that I lived, another uh, opportunity where God provided another meal, Another opportunity, everything else becomes like, man, this is, none of this was promised. God, you're so good, thank you. Help me to not fall in love with the gifts that you've given, but in love with you more, the giver of those gifts, that we set our expectations of what we deserve, biblically, not socially. Socially is what happened in the parable, where they kind of essentially looked around and they're like, look, uh, all, all my friends or all the other people got this, so I think this would be fair, and God, if you don't give it to me, I'm angry at you. That's what they did to the landowner, who is God essentially, who represents God inside of the story. Uh, uh, tragically, it's just all too common part of the human experience where often the way we determine what we deserve or what is fair is based on what others have, a comparison. Uh, even, this happened, even there's a story in the Bible where the disciples, this happened with Peter and John. Peter and John were two of the disciples, and Jesus, in John chapter 21, you can read it later, has this conversation with Peter where he essentially says, Peter, uh, he begins to tell Peter how he's gonna die. And, and Peter would be crucified upside down and, and Jesus kind of tells a um, man, here's what's gonna happen and um, Peter's gonna willingly die for his faith and, and Jesus says, this is what the future holds for you but um, don't lose heart and remain faithful and, um, and Peter soaks it all in and then it says he does what, what is so easy for any of us to do. He's like, it says, literally the text says, and then he looked over and he saw John and he's like, great, okay, I'm gonna die crucified upside down. What's gonna happen to John? Like, what's the faith that he's gonna have? Are we sure we're handing these out equally? And Jesus looks at him and he says, that's not between you and John or me and you. That's between me and John. 
Like if I, and it says, if I want John to live forever, that's for me, between me and John. And the text is so funny because it literally says, and from that day forward, a rumor went around with people saying that John would live forever, but it didn't say that John would live forever is what it says there. Um, if you knew your Bible, that would be funny, okay? <laughs> but Jesus says to Peter what I think he would say to all of us, hey, your faith is between me and you. The hand that I deal to someone else is not between you and me and them, it's between me and them. This is between me and you, Peter. Don't base your expectations on what life has for you based on what others have, but based on what the Bible says. And to this landowner, he says, man, you're grumbling, you're angry at me, all based on your expectations of what you deserve, entitlement. And then he goes on to how entitlement really costs us, and here's what happens next inside of the story. Verse 11, when they received it, that's the denarius, they began to grumble or be indignant against the landowner. And they said, these who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who've borne the burden of work. We worked 12, and we were in the heat of the day. Uh, the word there is like super hyperbolic language, or uh, hyperbole. Uh, the heat of the day is essentially other translations or other places it's, it's used is like set on fire. They're essentially like, look, we've been out here for 12 hours. It's like Houston in the summertime out here. We're burning up. I got sunburn all over me. You know how hot it is in the middle of the desert and you made them equal to us? And they're angry at the landowner. They do what entitlement does to any of our hearts. It begins to move us in the direction of being angry or bitter towards other people because entitlement, our second point, entitlement poisons relationships. It always poisons relationships. It poisoned their relationship with the landowner, likely their relationship with the other five o'clock people who they weren't happy for. They were like, oh man, I can't believe this person. How, how do you think that walk home went? I mean, imagine had no entitlement been a part of this conversation or no entitlement been in the hearts of the people who worked all, all day long. Imagine that they had just sat there, they received their wage and they were like, oh my God, you just paid us the same as you paid that one hour? This landowner is incredible. Look how generous this guy is. He paid us 150 bucks, we were here all day. I didn't have a job before this. He came along, he hired me. Then he paid these guys. This is the most generous guy ever. I'm gonna work for you for the rest of my life. Can I work for you tomorrow? Can't be here till five o'clock, but I'd love to work for you tomorrow. I mean, think about how different that would have been. And instead they're like, man, I'm angry at this person because he didn't give me what I think that I deserve because I'm not getting what I think that I deserve because uh, anytime there's entitlement, it poisons relationships. And it is poisoning the relationships in your life and the relationships in my life anytime that it intersects with them. Because entitlement, it just ruins or affects everything that it touches. It's, it's like this. Um, last week, I was doing laundry in my uh, house. For um, uh, I have a wife and a two-year-old, and so doing laundry, just being dad of the year, husband of the year. I think I'm nominated for both right now. And uh, <laughs> self-nominated, self-nominated. But um, I, uh, so I'm going through doing laundry. This is great. And cleaning up the house, spring cleaning, getting all the Christmas stuff cleaned up. And I noticed that there's around our Christmas tree that we had taken out, there was this thing called a tree skirt. What's a tree skirt? It's, it's something you, you, it's like a towel or blanket you put at the bottom of a tree. Um, I don't know. It's, um, keep moving. Anyways, it's this big red tree skirt. And so I was like, I'm going to take that, wash that too, throw all the laundry together. And so I throw that uh, in with the rest of the laundry. And, um, <laughs> man, he's like, everyone saw where this was going but me. Uh, and so I'm doing the laundry. This is great. And my wife 
I um, had to go off. I don't even know where. At some point, I like left, and, and she uh, fielded the laundry out of uh, the washer. And she says, hey, uh, did you put the tree skirt in with the rest of the clothes? Yeah, husband of the year. That's what I do. Um, because all of our clothes are now pink. My favorite shirt I got at Christmas is pink. Our towels are all pink. Everything that it touched was this lovely shade of pink. This shirt was bright white last week. Now it's pink. That's not true. But everything that it touched was this shade of pink because uh, it, um, it bled onto everything that it was around. Entitlement, anything that it touches, it ruins, it affects, it poisons, and particularly as it relates to relationships. What do I mean by how can it poison relationships? Think about how entitlement has impacted and, and, and is impacting your friendships. Um, and you can see this easier on the other side. Like when you're like friends with someone who's entitled, who gets really angry that you didn't text them back uh, because uh, after only 30 minutes, they're like, really? 30 minutes later? Are you kidding me? Uh, life has moved on. I'm done with that. I mean, think about it. You can see how it impacts, like you didn't come to my birthday party. You, didn't, I mean, you showed up late or you came for the very end. You missed that uh, dinner that I had with all those people. You can see how it impacts and it erodes relationships and friendships at work. Entitlement. I mean, it'll mess your ability to, to um, work as a follower of Jesus, which is like, hey, I'm gonna faithfully serve, not my boss, but I'm gonna work as though I'm working for God, not for man. If you feel like your boss is not treating, if you feel entitled to be treated differently than your boss is treating you. I mean, it'll impact your dating relationships. Golly, please listen up. If you're dating or if you ever want to date someday, if uh, you date someone, you do not wanna marry someone who's entitled I mean, it, it, is, uh, it is a horrible thing to step into a covenant with a person who has a certain expectation uh, on where you're gonna live, what car she's gonna drive, or he's gonna drive, what type of vacation they're gonna go on, just all the different ways that they expect to be treated. And it is a very different thing to step into a relationship with someone who has no sense of entitlement. They're just grateful that you're there. They're grateful to be in this with you. They're not like, oh man, I can't believe that we're going back to Mexico. I always want to go on vacation to Hawaii. We always end up in Mexico. They're just like, I can't believe we're going to Mexico. This is unbelievable. That's a very different reality. And that's a reality you want, I promise. And it's not a reality that a lot of people have. You do not, if you pick up on entitlement, you need to jump ship now. And I mean that sincerely. And you should do it with a kind heart and sit them down and talk through why you don't see the relationship moving forward, but it is deadly. And if you begin to pick up on entitlement, it will make a miserable marriage. Entitlement will also impact your, um, and this is really common with young adults, their relationship to the church. I mean, because they think uh, entitlement is often at, at the foundation of how we decide on what church we're gonna be a part of and where we're gonna go. I mean, think about the ways that you hear people talk about church. And this is for people who maybe have been in church for a while. Um, if, you've, if you've been uh, running with us for a while, you grew up in church, you'll hear people say things like, look, I'm just looking for the place where I get fed. Like, in other words, I'm looking for a place where I'm entitled to that. And then we'll say things like, I, I just feel like, you know, I'm gonna go here for a while because I just, I wanna do a deep dive on the Old Testament. I don't feel like we're doing enough of that. Or Leviticus or Revelation. Will somebody tell me what's going on in Revelation? And we'll talk through, like, hey, I'm entitled to going to a place where I feel fed. And if you're not feeding me, then I'm out of here. I mean, it, we had a guy come and visit our staff a couple weeks ago who joined us for what we call staff prayer, but he was another pastor and, and uh, and he said, you know what's going on right now inside of our country? 
there's this epidemic of spiritual narcissism. And I heard that and I was like, oh, I bet I know what he means, like just selfishness. And he said, here's, how it man- here's what it looks like. People have the expectation, put, they put an expectation on their pastor, on their church, that was never meant to be put on their pastor. It is not the job of a pastor to feed his flock. It is the job of a sheep to feed themselves. In other words, uh, at the beginning, that's fine, and as someone grows, but the point of Christianity is that you and I and every person who's a believer would get to the point, place where they can feed themselves. As silly as it would be for, for you know, me to show up at your house because I'm like, look, I'm not sure you can eat on your own. Let's get some applesauce here. That's as silly as it is uh, for people to show up years and years and years, sometimes decades, and expect that, man, if I'm ever gonna get fed, it's your job. Your job is to learn how to feed yourself. And the pastor, hopefully, is an encouraging part of that, but that's where God wants to lead you to. And if you find yourself in a place where, hey, I'm entitled to be fed when I want, what I want, and from who I want, you are a spiritual narcissist. And you're not gonna grow in your faith, or your faith is gonna be stunted. Honestly, we see this a lot of times at the porch where just, this is a plug for um, one of the girls who runs, who uh, administratively helps us, where people will call in and they feel like entitled to know what the message is about. It's insane how like entitled, they're like, "Uh, yeah, what's the message on tonight? Just wanna know, hey, and we won't tell you, heads up, so you're not ever gonna know. If you call in, just save it. And they're like, yeah, hey, um, yeah, I know you won't tell, but but come on, just tell me what the message is about. And you know, I won't tell anybody. And we're like, no, we're not actually going to tell. Do you guys even love God over there? Look, I'm just trying to know because I have a friend that I want to invite to church. I'm not sure they're going to want to come if we're just talking about anything. Hey, I think they're going to be encouraged. Okay. Yeah. I'm going somewhere else. And it's like, oh my entitlement. And, uh, and it is deadly. And it is poisoning and does poison relationships. It poisons minds and it poisons yours. The opposite is true, though, for those who are not entitled. I mean, their relationships, it's just amazing how different it is when you interact with them. We've all interacted with people who really don't have a sense of entitlement. I mean, they're like, dude, you missed my birthday? Are you kidding me? You're so busy. Don't worry. I got birthdays every year, man. Literally, they come. Uh, There'll be another one. It'll be great. You missed the next five. Who cares? Hopefully I'm around. If not, we'll be together for billions of years. And that's amazing. And they're just quick to forgive. They're quick to, that's the type of people you want to be around. I mean, how much more attractive even is that in a friendship or a dating relationship? We've said it before. Guys, if you want to be more attractive tomorrow when you wake up, Maybe you got hit by the ugly stick on the way out. You do not have to be worried. You could be more attractive in just a minute. I'm going to give it to you right now. <laughs> There's no ugly stick. I apologize. <laughs> if you are someone who's grateful, you're not entitled. You're quick to forgive. You will be all of a sudden like more magnetic. People will want to be around you. You'll be more attractive to the world around us. And God wants you to experience that. It's a better way to live. Free from the poison that entitlement brings to relationships. And finally, uh, we're giving kind of the clearest indicator of the cure, the ongoing cure that we've talked a little bit about already for entitlement. But here's what Jesus says in verse 13. But he answered them, so the landowner responds, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous 
So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Excuse me. I want to reread the line, are you envious because I'm generous? Because inside of it, there's something really significant taking place. Your translation may have, or is your eye evil? Uh, neither of which is a, a great. Essentially, what the original language says is, is your eye bad because I'm so good? In other words, are you going to allow the goodness of the landowner to lead you to be angry at the landowner, to lead you to be angry at other people and angry at the world around you? Or are you gonna be grateful to just the goodness of the landowner and the gifts that he's given to you or to the payment, to what he's given to you? The third idea from this text is uh, that entitlement ends where gratitude begins. And I know that sounds like just a pithy line and oh yeah, that's great, I'll tweet that. Entitlement, truly, it ends where gratitude begins that their response would have been radically different. They just said, man, this, this landowner is incredibly good. How amazing is this guy? In the same way that our response, uh, entitlement ends when we just look at God and go, God, you're so good to me inside of my life. I'm just overwhelmed with all the ways that I'm, I'm, uh, I wanna thank you. The, spirit, or the scripture says that everything good inside of your life and inside of my life comes down from the heavenly father of lights. James chapter one, it says that everything good in your life and in my life is a gift from God himself. And you would be thinking like, man, do I really have like a ton to be thankful for? Do I really have a ton that I should be, have an attitude where I'm just grateful? I mean, think about the last 24 hours of your life. I mean, think about all, and if you're like, yeah, it's been really hard, honestly. I don't love my job that much. The internet's out at our apartment, and I'm, I mean, think about like even the fact that, that um, many of you drove a car into work here. Many of you uh, today, you had heat inside of your office building or inside of the home that you live in, and there's all kinds of different things that had you. If we could trade places with the king of England 200 years ago, he would be like, oh my gosh, I would give anything to experience the life that you guys live. With the touch of a button, you can access endless information of the world around you and answers to any question you may have. You can push a dial and it controls the environment or the heat inside of a room. For many people, you guys walked across the parking lot and you're like, yeah, it was really far. You have legs that move. Think about how many people inside of the world would just say, gosh, I would love to be able to have the health to walk that distance again. Uh, there's a video that a church did uh, over the holiday season that just captured, honestly, um, the uh, power of just the attitude of thankfulness and, um, and how much we take for granted. And the guys are gonna throw it. It's a church out of North Carolina. And they just display it as well as really I could say it. So you guys watch this. <laughs> I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, hey, Christine, you're here too. Mm-hmm. I love you. I know. Dad, what's happening? Uh, honey, the power works. It's coming. It goes on and off. Whatever we want. <laughs> We've got clean water. Oh, that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know what this does. Rain down the glorious water. Ah, shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Food. Mm, I love food. What? A a briefcase? You want to have work? This is awesome. What's in here? Feed? The what? Jack, be careful. I have a car. 
Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car! Oh, a car! <laughs> and don't forget your coffee! You're the best. Uh, I love it. It's, uh, man, it, uh, our parking team is right now wrapping every single one of your cars in the parking lot, just to show you. <laughs> what if they were? I can't believe we have to do this. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a silly video, but it's powerful. You think about, man, just all the things that we take for granted that our heart immediately doesn't go, gosh, man, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, thank you for the gifts inside of my life. I mean, it's just such a better way to live when you allow your heart to continue. There's something that happens inside of my heart when I spend time just thanking God for the things that he's given me inside of my life. Even especially maybe when I allow circumstances where I'm like, gosh, my car just broke down. And I, uh, in healthy moments, just go, Lord, thank you for a car that can break down. Less than 1% of the world even owns a car. And I have a car. So thank you that I even have a car that can break down. Lord, thank you that I have a sore throat because it reminds me, sickness can remind me of how good it is to not be sick and to be healthy and how often that is the case. There's just something, power. it's a better way to live. And people who embrace just this attitude of, Lord, I'm gonna be grateful, and they practice gratitude towards God and gratefulness towards others, they're like, it's hard to get those people bogged down. Their life is filled with more joy. If you want to have more joy, and I'm going to give you practical things, two practical things that I want you to do. Begin to practice thanking God for the things inside of your life. I mean, it just does something to our heart. It tunes our heart. And it moves us more towards worshiping God. Inside of our house, one of the most common ways that we pray at our family dinner tables is say five things you're thankful for. That's how we're going to pray. Five things. Go. Man, water. The dog, um, a wife that uh, is um, just incredible. Lord, thank you for food. Thank you for Jesus. And it does something to your heart. If you want to have more joy tomorrow, practice thanking God, thanking others. If you want to be depressed, continue to be entitled and think that everything that you have inside of your life, you earned, you're owed, you deserve. Practically, last week we said, hey, we, we're gonna uh, invite you, if you want to, for the next 30 days. Hey, wake up 30 minutes early with us. You can go to jointhejourney.com and join us in kind of this uh, Devo that we're doing where we're just waking up, studying God's word. Um, for our staff, we do join the journey, but whatever that looks like for you, and we invited you to, hey, wake up 30 minutes earlier. Now, as an add-on to that, here's something you could add on to it. Begin your time of studying God's word by just writing out or just praying out five things I'm thankful for. God, thank you for this. It does something on the inside of your heart. And it moves you in the direction of the person that you want to be, of a life that's more filled with joy. And so we want to invite you five things. As you begin, do 100 things. Do it, and there's no cap on it. But begin recognizing, Lord, thank you. Thank you for a season of singleness, even if I don't want it, where I can just further use my time to serve the people in the world around you and to grow in my love and knowledge, my relationship with my heavenly father, to grow in my faith, whatever those things are. And when you begin to turn what, what feel like obstacles or challenges and you flip them by thanking God for just whatever is inside of your life, it does something. Some of you, you need to leave here tonight and you need to reach out and you need to thank somebody. Like, someone, uh, your boss, someone that you work with, a family member, that there's just little things inside of your life where you need to reach out and, and send a text. Imagine if 3,500 or between everyone involved, 5,000 people tonight just send a text to someone, hey, I'm just thanking God for you tonight. 
I'm just thankful for whatever it is inside of you. Because here's what's crazy about, about gratefulness and thankfulness to one another. When someone doesn't thank you, like not expressed gratitude, we've all been on the other side of it, right? Like when someone, when you do something really hard and they don't thank you, even if they feel thankful inside of their heart, if they don't express it or communicate it, what happens? It's received as they're ungrateful. I mean, think about that. That anytime you and I hold with, uh, withhold thankfulness towards another person, it is received as ingratitude. It's not just received as, hey, kind of neutral. It's if I work really hard and I plan something for you or I give something to you and you don't say thank you, I'm not like, oh man, um, they're, you know, it's neutral. It's received as they're ungrateful. They don't care. Some of you, the best thing that you need to do is you need to reach out. Thank a parent. Thank the boss that you work with. Thank your community group. And you're like, oh, they don't need to be thanked. That's just a part of being in community. Those are the, especially the people that you need to thank. And it does something to you and it does something to me. And I have a hunch that when the body of Christ, and maybe we'll just start here inside of this room and in Fort Worth and wherever you're listening in, if we unleash on the world just waves and waves of young adults who are filled with not entitlement, like the world around it says, but just gratitude. They can't get bogged down based on circumstances. They're grateful to God to have another day that they weren't promised. It is powerful. And that's what we're gonna do in this city. That's what we hope to see experience inside of this room. And that's what we hope to experience inside of our own life. And it only benefits you. The final reason why entitlement, and I'll land the plan in close here, is so dangerous is because it will not just cost you joy or relationships. It will cost you heaven. Like if you are not uh, able to get over just an entitlement attitude towards God, it will cost you eternal life. Here's, here's what I mean by that. And I think this is way more prevalent than you think because you're like, who's entitled towards God? The, the uh, most common belief in the country, I think, maybe in the world, is rooted in an entitlement towards God. What do I mean by that? The most common expression outside of what the Bible teaches, um, uh, but maybe... It, you know, if you lumped kind of the major world religions together, people would think, hey, when it comes to me having eternal life with God, if I'm going to be in heaven or not, it is all based on how good of a person that I think that I am. And if I'm good, I think I deserve heaven. If that is your attitude, like I have a good heart, you know, and I've done good things and I try to live a good life, you are entitled towards God. You are not a Christian. You don't know what the Bible teaches, or at least you're not believing what the Bible teaches. The message of Christianity is not that, hey, if you try and you're a good person, then you'll have eternal life. I was talking to a friend last week, and, and we were talking through uh, just faith, and, and, um, and I asked them the two questions, or these two questions of, man, if, you, if something happened to you today, like you died, and hopefully that doesn't happen, but if it happened on a scale one to 10, how confident are you that you would go to heaven? And he said, you know, I think I'm probably like an eight or a nine. And I said, why? And he said, because I have a good heart. Like I've always had a good heart. Like I look back and I've always, you know, I've always wanted to help people. I've got a heart to help people. You know, if somebody was in need, I would give them my last $15. I would give them whatever they needed. You know, like I've always had a heart to care for people. And, and I had to look them in the eyes and say, you're not a Christian. That's not the message of Christianity. And we walk through that the message of Christianity is not that, man, I'm a good person, so I deserve God. I am entitled to heaven because of me. The message of Christianity is that I'm not entitled to anything but hell. But the God who was there loved me so much that he died in my place. He made a way for me. 
And that anyone who doesn't say, look, I'm entitled and I'm gonna try and I'm gonna work really hard, but anyone who says, I've come to the place where I know that I can't save myself. I'm not deserving of a relationship with you, God. You're perfect, you're holy, you're sinless. You're everything that I wish that I was, but I'm not. And if the basis for me ever getting to heaven is gonna be based on I have a good heart and I've tried really hard and I pay my taxes and I go to church, I'm never going to get there according to Jesus, according to the Bible. And if that's what you believe right now, the God who is there has brought you sovereignly into this room and into the room in Fort Worth and into the room in El Paso and Tulsa and everywhere that you are, listen to me very closely, if that is what you believe, the God who's there has sovereignly brought you. He wove the pieces. He had a friend invite you. He brought you into this room right now for the moment that you could hear the message of Christianity is not work your way to God. It is God has worked his way for you and died in your place on the cross. And if you will accept the free gift, what does it mean to accept? What does it mean to have a gift? It means that you're not deserving of it. If you deserve it, that's called a payment. It's a gift. If you will accept, not by what you do, but by his grace or just by faith in what he did. I'm trusting, God, you paid for my sin. Every, every time I've smoked marijuana, every look at pornography I've done, every time that I, I was in that affair, every, every uh, action of anger, every time that I've gotten hammered on the weekend or hammered last night, you paid for it. And if I'm gonna have a relationship with you, it's gonna not be because I deserve it, because I don't. That person, Jesus says, Whoever comes to the end of themselves, they can have the gift. If they'll just say, God, I accept it. The God who's there is crazy about you, loves you enough to die in your place. I'll give my life for you. So that you would be brought into his family, not because you deserve it, but despite the fact that you didn't, and I didn't. Being entitled will rob you of joy It'll kill your relationships. And it will keep you out of heaven. But it doesn't have to. If you'll accept freely what Jesus did for you, like so many of us have. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Seems like embarrassingly small to say to the God who created the universe who's perfect and holy who's righteous in every single way worthy of every worship worthy of every breath that any of us breathes in here and yet you would decide because of your love for us that you would become a man enter into our world, die for our sins, despite the fact that we're entitled, angry, addicts. Father, I pray for anyone inside of this room who's never stepped into a relationship with a God who wants to know them and is so reckless in his love that he'll kick down any door for them to know it, that tonight you would break the walls of entitlement down, that they would be exposed to the lie they don't deserve heaven and neither do I but the one who did Jesus gave his life so that they could experience heaven Father would you kill the entitlement in our hearts would you breed gratitude in us would we be a thankful people would we see 
all the incredible gifts that you give us. And Lord, should you give us another day, would we wake up tomorrow with hearts full of worship and gratitude towards you, our King. Thank you, Lord, for the million things I take for granted every single day. And thank you most of all for sending your son for me, for my friends, for anyone who will accept it. Amen.